to have it there in Boston at the Country Club with so much history and the fact that it's been so long since it's been there, I think it's going to make for an amazing atmosphere there on the grounds. And I think that will definitely translate through uh, the television screen into our viewers at home. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And thanks for joining us on the Golf Journal podcast. Alongside my co-host, Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola. Today, we've got a great one for you as we're joined by Justin Leonard, 1992 U.S. Amateur Champion, winner of the 1997 Open Championship at Royal Troon, and member of the 1999 Ryder Cup team. Where was that Ryder Cup played? You guessed it, the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, site of the upcoming 2022 U.S. Open. To say Justin was a large part of USA's comeback victory that year is certainly an understatement, so we're going to take a deep dive into that. We'll get his thoughts on the country club and also catch up on Justin's role as a broadcast analyst for NBC, his life away from golf, and a big milestone birthday coming up. Here's Justin Leonard. And just like that, Justin Leonard joins us. Justin, thanks for taking the time today. How are you? My pleasure. All is well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Justin, thanks for joining. And uh, why don't we start at the country club? Uh, I mean, to me, two things that stand out about that Ryder Cup in 1999, those Sunday shirts and then your 45-foot birdie putt at the 17th. I mean, we're, what, some 23 years later. How often are you still asked about that? The putt, not the shirts. Well, actually, I'm asked about the shirts quite often as well. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's pretty rare that a week goes by. Uh, even if I'm at home in Colorado, it's very rare that a week goes by where somebody doesn't mention it. Um, and then certainly yeah, if I'm out working at a golf tournament or doing an outing, things like that, uh, it, it's usually one of the first topics that uh, that I get to address with people, whether I'm you know, driving around the golf course in my cart, doing some homework, uh, somebody will stop me and tell me where they were or that they were there or whatever the story may be. But uh, so I get to relive those, uh, you know, those moments from Brookline quite often. Yeah, certainly a uh, just one of the seminal moments in golf history. If you're talking about the handful of putts that are the most memorable or have the most in the line, you know, I think yours, the Country Club, uh, to clinch the Ryder Cup has to be right up near the top with Tiger at Torrey in 08, Jack at the 86 Masters, and uh, and a few others. I was actually there. I was I was 15 years old, and I was at the first hole, Justin. I watched all the groups go through and I pop over and with my cousin, we go to 17 and it was kind of a bummer because the first six matches, none of them got to 17. So we we're sitting there for a long time, but it certainly paid off when, uh, when your putt went in uh, for 15 year old me, that was uh, the, certainly the, the thrill of a lifetime. But for you, obviously the putt's iconic, but the fact you even got to the 17th in that match was in some doubt early on or the 10th or 11th hole. Take us through that back nine a little bit in your singles match. Yeah, so it was, you know, there was a lot of momentum out there that day. We were four points down going in, 10 to six. And uh, front ended, front loaded our lineup with the guys that were playing really well because we knew we had to get some points on the board quickly, uh, which we did. I mean, Tiger, Hal Sutton, Davis Love, Phil, David Duvall, uh, you know, all those guys, Tom Lehman went out and played really well early. Uh, and they got up big to where all of a sudden we had the, all this momentum. Um, you know, I was stuck back in like match nine or 10, somewhere in there. 
And I, I was not playing great that day. I was four down through 10 holes, through 11 holes. Um, and I remember Davis Love, he finished his match early. He came back to watch me. And I'm like walking up the 12th fairway. And I said, hey, why don't you go follow somebody else that, you know, may have a chance. And then if, if I do something stupid here, you could come back. He goes, no, no, it's going to happen right here. So I'm with you. So I'm like, okay. So I won 12 uh, with a par made about an eight footer, uh, 13. I won the hole with another par, just two putter from 20 feet, uh, 14. I made about a, a, you know, maybe a 20 foot birdie putt, uh, to win the hole. And then, uh, 15, I made about a 45, uh, about a 40 footer from across the green. And at that point in time, that was as excited as I'd ever been on a golf course, uh, to, to get back into this match. And to know that all of a sudden, you know, my match, uh, might help, uh, you know, the results that, that we wanted. And, and so we both part 16, uh, walking up to 17 off the tee, there was a leaderboard behind 15 green that I could see. And I, I could, you know, kind of see where the points were and how the other matches were going. And, and I realized that, that all we needed was a half point. Uh, you know, I'm all square on 17. So then I realized, well, if I could win this hole, um, you know, this thing is over. And so I quickly try and flush all that out of my mind. Um, you know, hit a wedge shot in there. The pin was back, right. And they're up on a little bit of a, of a perch. And so it spun off the hill back to about 45 feet. Um, and, uh, when I walked up on the green, Everybody who'd finished their match, wives, Ben Crenshaw, assistant captains, PJ of America people were off back left of the green, all in those um, creative shirts that we spoke of earlier. <laughs> and uh, so I looked over at them and I quickly looked away because I didn't want any part of that. Uh, and so, you know, I step up, I hit the putt. It's going a little quick. I, I start backing up to watch it as it's breaking to the right. And if it hadn't hit dead center of the hole, it might have gone off the back edge of the green, but it hit dead center, uh, went in, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, the, the place just goes absolutely crazy, uh, you know, to, to clinch the Ryder Cup. Where you guys were to start the day and where it ended up uh, in that moment was, uh, was certainly special and a moment that golf fans and sports fans will never forget. And Justin, it's really amazing that all the history that's occurred on that hole. I mean, it's right across the street from the house Francis we met grew up in, the hole we met birdied in the final round in playoff when he won the 1913 U.S. Open there. So it's certainly been a good hole for Americans for over a century. And speaking of U.S. Opens, it's it's been 34 years since the last one up there. It's been a while since people have seen the country club, especially if you haven't tuned into the U.S. Amateur in, in 2013. So about the country club itself, what should people know about this course? How does it challenge the players? Anything surprising about it? Well, and I'm sure it's changed a bit over the years, but uh, it's kind of a classic U.S. Open venue in that, um, you know, the greens are very small. Um, so putting the ball, you know, not only on the green, but keeping it below the hole because there's quite a bit of undulation, uh, a lot of holes, it's from back to front. So you've got to keep it short of the flag sticks. Uh, in order to, you know, to have good putts, um, it, it, it kind of, it's a little, it, it moves a lot. There's a lot of dog legs. There's a lot of movement in the fairways. Um, so it's not just, you know, kind of straight back and forth. 
Um, it's a lot of movement. So there's some choices off the tees as far as clubs, you know, do you want to get more aggressive, get the ball further down there? Um, or maybe play to kind of the corner of where the dog leg might be. Uh, it's visually, it's a beautiful golf course. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, and you know, but under us open conditions, which I haven't played it under, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty demanding test. Um, you know, the last few holes, uh, starting at the 12th hole going up the hill, it's normally a par five for members. It's just a brutal par four. Um, and then, you know, long par five at 14, beautiful little par three at 16. And of course, like you mentioned, the history of 17. And that's one of the reasons why Ben Crenshaw, after I made the putt, bent down on all fours and kissed the green uh, because he knew um, that just special things seemed to happen there. And then, you know, of course, 18 um, with the bunkers guarding the front of the green can be a very difficult hole. So um, I'm looking forward to getting back there and kind of reliving some of those memories, but to be anytime you're at, you know, the national championship, whether it's, U.S. Amateur, men's or women's, U.S. Open, those kind of things. Um, there's just an atmosphere that's there. And, and to have it there in Boston at the country club with so much history and the fact that it's been so long that it's since it's been there, um, I think it's going to make for uh, an, an amazing atmosphere there on the grounds. And I think that will definitely translate through uh, the television screen into our viewers at home. Yeah, we can't wait to get there. There's going to be a ton of fanfare. We know what Brookline and Boston fans are like, passionate, and they're going to bring that passion to the U.S. Open. You talked about maybe the course has changed, haven't been there in a while. You haven't been there in a while. Most of the contenders, most of these top players in the world that are going to be the favorites to win, maybe have never seen this place. Uh, How does that differ in terms of preparing for a major? You're a major champion at a course you've never been to or haven't been to for a while. You know, the the courses like Oakmont and Wingfoot and the Country Club come to mind. How does that differ from preparing for a Pebble Beach U.S. Open or a Torrey Pines U.S. Open that maybe you see in the winter every year? Well, yeah, the familiarity of, of some of those venues you took, you spoke of, um, it's, it's, it makes it more comfortable for the players. They understand, uh, you know, what's going to go on in and around the clubhouse, getting to the practice area, uh, understand things that around the greens that they're going to need to, to have sharp. And so it makes it a little easier to prepare for those things. Um, when you're going to a venue like the country club where, you know, it's, it's quite likely that, that, well, I, I would say fewer than maybe 10 to 15 players will have ever been on the golf course. Um, it makes it a little more difficult to prepare. I think the top players uh, will probably get there for a visit before uh, sometime in May so they can give themselves an idea of, of what to be ready for uh, because it does. It's a lot of those. I remember early in my career, I'd never seen any of these golf courses. And so uh, that first day, day and a half, you're just trying to get um, a sense of the golf course, what the routine is going to look like that week, how you're getting to and from practice areas, all of those things. And so um, going to a new place, that's certainly part of the equation to having success. And so I think you'll see quite a few guys that will actually spend a day or two, go up to Boston and, and, and take a look so that they, you know, kind of get that initial sense before they get on the grounds during the week of the U S open. Yeah, that's another good point. Uh, Torrey Pines, you can kind of get your practice rounds in whenever you want. Uh, the country clubs, the covers are on the greens right now, so you can't exactly uh, go up on a weekend off and get your practice rounds in. Um, Justin, just one last one on the country club, talking about all the strategy that, that you've mentioned, who's a player you kind of like going in? 
Oh, I mean, gosh, it's it's hard to, you know, six months out, but just the style of game. I mean, I think of guys who who tend to play U.S. Opens well. I mean, I mean, John Rahm, winner last year, Brooks Kepka, um, you know, guys that understand, uh, you know, how to play and not always taking the chances that that they might during regular events. But, you know, the, the U.S. Open, it's more about kind of strategy, managing your game, avoiding the big mistakes. Um, I'd say, you know, those two guys and and, um, you know, there's so much time between now and then. But just thinking about the golf course, um, I, I think it's there's going to be a bit more of a premium on, on putting the ball in the fairway. Um, if you get in the rough, you've got trees and rough to deal with. It makes it very difficult to hit the greens. Um, and so I, I think putting the ball in the fairway will be a little bit more of a premium than what maybe we've seen here in the last uh, two or three U S opens, at least the ones that I've been covering with NBC, uh, you know, Tory pines last year, there were areas on the golf course in the rough that, that it was fine. You could totally play and it was manageable. And, and um, you know, it didn't mean that, that it took away anything from the tournament. That's just the way the golf course was. Um, I would imagine in Boston, uh, there's going to be a little bit pre- more of a premium on putting the ball in the fairway. Um, and, you know, from there hitting to these small targets, keeping it below the hole. So uh, good off the tee guys, you know, as always iron play, um, is always uh, necessary to play well and to play well at a U.S. Open, and and I think it's going to be at a premium at the Country Club. Awesome, and you kind of said it. It's going to be stroke play at the Country Club. And thinking back to what Mike said, 2013 USAM, yeah, there are two stroke play rounds, but it's predominantly a match play event, especially what you see on TV. Ryder Cup, obviously, and kind of segueing to that USAM that you won in 1992, a completely different strategy for a match play event, especially when you start with the huge field the US Amateur does and whittle it all the way down to one. Uh, you won that 1992 US Amateur eight and seven in the championship match, so took it easy there. But you hoisted the Havemeyer Trophy. I mean. David Duvall was the medalist, Stuart Sink, Mike Weir, Jason Gore, Tim Heron, Tiger Woods. They were all in the field. What was that week like, and what does it take to get through both the physical and mental aspect of a U.S. amateur? Well, I, I felt a little bit of, of familiarity with the golf course because it was played at Mirafield Village. I'd always watched the memorial, uh, had never been there. but So to be able to go play a golf course that I'd watched on TV for a number of years was was really, really fun. And then um, it was one of those things. I, I, I played really well all summer, uh, went in there. I think I had a, a week or two off before I was, I was, you know, fairly rested and, um, I just got on a run. The greens were so good. I fell in step with those. Um, I had a wonderful caddy that week who did an amazing job reading the greens and kind of guiding me around the golf course. It was really firm early in the week during stroke play in the first couple matches. And then we actually got rained out for a day. Um, and so to make the transition now to a very soft golf course, or at least for, for the next match, um, couldn't have done that without, you know, the caddy that I had that week. And, and just one of those weeks where I hit the ball very well. I wasn't obviously very long at the time, nor am I now. Uh, but I just putted so well all week, uh, that even if I got myself in trouble, I felt like if I could just get something on the green, um, in the right position, I could make a 10 or 15 footer. And, and, um, you know, one of those weeks where, uh, just everything seemed to fall in place. Yeah, Justin, you mentioned you're playing well going in. You certainly were. You won the Western Am, you won the Southern Am that summer. It was a, a great summer for you, capped off by uh, winning the Havemeyer Trophy. 
uh, Dave mentioned kind of a grind, right? The USAM, you, you have a couple rounds of stroke play, you have six rounds of match play. Anywhere along the way, did it get a little hairy for you in any match? Were you were you trailing? Did it look like things may end early for you? Yes, absolutely. In the, uh, I played a quarterfinal match against David White, and I was four down through I think ten holes, um, and came back and won that match. Uh, I think on the seventeenth, like two and one, something like that. Um, got on a nice run. David made a couple of mistakes that I was able to capitalize on. Uh, and then the semifinal match I played against Alan Doyle was, you know, probably one of the greatest matches I've ever been a part of. Um, I remember on the seventh hole, the par five, we both laid it up. Um, I hit it. I, I, I pulled my third shot with a, with a pitching wedge. Um, and Alan Doyle hit his pitching wedge like a foot like he basically almost you know hooped it on top of me um the eighth hole the par three down the hill he hit it to like three feet uh the ninth hole down the hill again the par four he hit it to three feet again i thought okay i'm not going to hold any more shots because obviously it really ticks him off uh, but we had this great back and forth match that that I, I was able to finally win on the 17th and and um i you know I, i'm i'm very good friends with with Alan's daughter, Aaron, and his son-in-law, Brant Packer, who's our producer, does a lot of the USGA events. Um, and every time I see Packer, I ask how Alan's doing. And he says that Alan still has, um, there's still a little venom in him left from that match <laughs> back in 1992. He still remembers that and can't believe he lost that match. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing the things that we can recall. I can't, rec- I, I don't remember what I did last week but I can remember very specific moments of, you know, some of those matches back in 1992 or 99 at the Ryder cup or 93 playing the U S open at Baltus Rawl as an amateur. Um, so, you know, being able to look back on, on some of those moments and, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun and being able to, you know, to share it now on NBC um, and, and now, you know, being a part of, of being able to televise and show the world, uh, you know, the USGA events has, has, uh, has been a great thrill for me these last couple of years. Well, it's one of the, the great things about playing in those major events, those big championships are burned into your memory, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, speaking of Alan Doyle, I mean, no one was a better grinder than Doyle as a, as a mid-am. He was an exceptional player at you know, 25 and older. And then on the, on the PGA tour champions won, you know, two U.S. Senior Opens coming from nine back uh, to win, I believe, in 2005. So uh, to, to beat Alan Doyle in match play, you've certainly done done something right. Uh, Justin, one of my favorite stories about the 92 Am was the trophy that you received after winning. Can you share with people what what exactly happened? What what trophy you were given after you won the 92 U.S. Am? Well, and, and I didn't know any of this at the time, but we're Stanley 11th green. Um, you know, we just take care of everything there. Every, you know, all the, the, the fans that were out there that week were, were there around the 11th green and I'm given a trophy. And so, um, you know, I'm like, this is great. I've never seen, you know, the, 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 the USA amateur trophy and, and being able to hold it and just kind of, you know, soaking in the day and everything. And then as we're going to the press room, um, I'm told, Hey, by the way, uh, this is actually not the trophy you're going to take with you for the year. 
um, that we had a little accident with the other one. It's actually bent. This is, you know, so fortunate that we were playing at Mirafield Village because Jack Nicholas happened to have a replica of the U.S. Amateur Trophy in the clubhouse. So I was actually holding the replica uh, that Jack had uh, made for himself. And uh, so it was sometime later that then, you know, I got the U.S. Amateur Trophy. I have my own replica now, um, which is far and away the most beautiful, you know, trophy that I've won in the game of golf. Uh, and it's, trust me, it sits very prominently uh, in my house. But um, yeah, so there was something happened there with the trophy. Uh, not sure how it all happened, but, you know, it, it's all it's all well and good. What a career between all those the, all those big wins, the major championship at Royal Troon. And then that took you to the broadcast booth. You started with NBC Golf Channel back in 2015. How did that come about working with, you know, the likes of Molly Solomon and Tommy Roy? What what got you in the business? You know what? It's funny. It, it, it all kind of goes back a little bit to the country club. Um, when I was walking off the 18th green, Roger Maltby came over and he was going to interview me. And and. You know, Johnny Miller had said some very truthful but spicy things about our team and everything on Saturday night. Um, I think a few of us took offense to it, and, you know, it served as some motivation. So, Raj, before we go on for this interview, goes, listen, I know you're, you know, you've probably got some things you want to say. Just be very careful here, okay? This will be remembered forever. So he kind of talked me off the ledge um, I still got a little tiny dig in, but it wasn't nearly what I was going to do. So Roger basically saved my broadcasting career. Um, <laughs> and then I was invited. I think it was it was either 2010 or 14. One of the years when the Ryder Cup was it must have been 14 when the Ryder Cup was overseas. Um, I got a call from some folks at Golf Channel. They want me to come in and studio on Saturday and just do, you know, kind of an alternate programming where you could sit around, you could watch, you know, we'd have the tournament up in a small box. And it was, I think, David Faraday, Gary Williams was hosting, um, Lanny Watkins, David Duvall and myself. And you'd kind of watch us watching the tournament um, as an alternate coverage deal. You know, all I remember is I had a 1 a.m. wake up call uh, to go into studio we were on air for like eight hours and I guess they got enough, you know, from that. Um, and that kind of started, I got that phone call because I went up to Brookline to do, um, you know, kind of a course tour. Um, you know, golf channel was there that day and, uh, I guess we got enough great content from that reliving the whole 99 experience. That's why they brought me into the studio in Orlando during that Saturday's round. Um, and then, you know, that a couple of phone calls, a meeting with Tommy Roy. Next thing I know, my first event, I'm sitting in the 15th tower at Albany at the hero world challenge. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I guess I made it through the week well enough to where I got some more events the following year. And, you know, six years later, here I am. One thing that's kind of funny, and I've I've always admired this about you, we've worked together for, for two years now, and you've done a lot of long hours, right, from the booth to, let's say, live from, and you're able to switch gears, right? Because when you're in the booth, main broadcast, national audience, you got to call golf, be an analyst, and then you can 
go over to the studio and kind of get a sense of humor, be an analyst, have an opinion. I remember, I forget what uh, player you were talking about. Didn't you say, didn't he go to Hogwarts because he's a wizard? I mean, you're, you're <laughs> able to kind of flip the script and do both. How were you able to learn that so quickly? I mean, you talk about six years later and you're a pro. A lot of folks, it takes a full six years to build one of those skill sets. Yeah, the, the, the two, you know, doing the, the, the studio shows like Live From versus Live Golf are, are very, very different. And I think it's it's very hard to be really good at both. You know, live golf, you've got a few seconds here and there, um, you know, to either set the shot up or, you know, what happened, what went wrong or what went right. Uh, and then it, it's very quick moving uh, in the studio. You know, two minutes doesn't sound like a very long time, but when you're used to trying to get your thoughts out and in three to six seconds, two minutes is an eternity. Um, and so the last couple of years, I've joked with Brandel, you know, we'll go through preparing for the show and he'll say, okay, two, you get two minutes. And then Brandel, you get two minutes. I go, Brandel, I'll sell you a minute and a half because all I've got is 30 <laughs> seconds, knowing that he's going to take that, you know, that extra minute and a half anyways. Uh, I don't have to offer it to him. He's going to take it anyways. But, um, you know, you've got time in the studio to uh, get around a topic and cover a bunch of different things. And and so it's two different, very different things. I feel like my experience on live from and, and, the, and the research and all that understanding players has helped my broadcasting of live tournaments and vice versa. And so um, they both take a lot of work, a lot of research. Um, but there are two different animals and, and I, I feel like I've been fortunate to have a lot of great people, um, offer some great advice in both. I mean, getting to work with, you know, Trevor Immelman, Brando, Rich Lerner, um, you know, Damon Hack, Shane Bacon, uh, back to Gary Williams and, and, you know, to get feedback from those kind of people, not to mention our producers, um, you know, in Stanford and the ones that are there on the ground with us. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been phenomenal. And then on the live golf side to get to spend some time with Johnny Miller and, and now Paul Azinger and Gary Koch and, uh, Peter Jacobson, David, the guys on the ground. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of great people. I mean, it really is a family. We all, you know, have the same common goal of wanting to entertain our audience and, and maybe, you know, provide them with a little introspective on, on what it's like to be a player, what a player is going through. Uh, and that's something that I really enjoy doing is try and try and let our viewers into what's going on through a player's mind, um, you know, in certain situations. I, I really enjoy that process. And for the last couple of years, Golf Channel, NBC, Peacock has been bringing the USGA championships to everybody. Justin, you've been on the broadcast team for the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Open in 2020 and 2021, as well as the Walker cup last year. But you also have a milestone birthday coming up in a few months. You'll turn 50 the week of the U S open. So what are your plans for playing golf, broadcasting, or a combination of the two looking ahead? Well, I'll be at the U S open. So I'm going to celebrate my birthday the way I have the last few years. And, and that's, you know, in the television compound, um, with my friends, which would be fun. Um, and then, you know, playing wise, I am still living in Colorado. We're going to be moving to Florida, uh, right after the U S open. And, um, and so we'll be moving down there full time. I don't think my game is going to be quite ready to 
play the U.S. Senior Open, which would be the first event that I'm eligible for uh, in timing wise, trying to get our move down to Florida. So um, I'm probably going to hold off on my, uh, you know, U.S. Senior Open debut until next year. Uh, But I'm going to play an event in July, I think. And then I've got some work with NBC in August and then probably play a little bit more in the fall. Uh, kind of see how it goes. I'm actually very excited about playing. Um, I, I, you know, when I've had the chance to, when I've been in the right weather this winter, um, I've, I've put some time in on my game and trying to, you know, I'm now thinking about my own equipment rather than the players that I'm covering. Uh, so that's been kind of fun. And, and, um, I'm looking forward to it because it's, you know, I, I think it would help my broadcasting and in, in returning to competitive golf for a bit. Um, and you know, just kind of see where it all goes, but I'm excited about it. Uh, it'll be fun for, you know, I've got four kids. Uh, my wife loves to watch me play kids do as well. And two, my two boys are, you know, they're golfers. They like to play. And so I think they're probably as excited as I am that I'm going to get the chance to go back and compete again. Uh, so looking forward to all that. Um, you know, it's great. Golf's probably the only game where you actually celebrate your 50th birthday as like a positive rather than <laughs> I remember my dad's 50th, you know, they did a trip and he was wearing all black and it was, you know, they had fun with it, but you know, at 50, you're kind of as a golfer, a professional golfer, um, you know, you kind of get renewed by life again. And so I'm looking forward to this. That's really, really exciting. Uh, and you make a good point. Getting back inside the ropes as a competitor, you know, as a golf analyst for broadcast, what's better than getting back in that competitive mindset? But but Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we can't wait to see you in the booth. And there's something poetic to me about Justin Leonard celebrating 50 years old at the country club. I don't know, but it'll be a really fun week. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Look forward to seeing you both in June. Well, there you have it, folks. It's bound to be a big year for Justin Leonard in the booth and maybe on the leaderboard again. We can't wait to find out. Don't forget, the 2022 U.S. Open will be here before you know it from the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, Father's Day weekend in June. You already know the date. For all the information and to get ready for the championship, head to usopen.com. We'll all be there in June, and we hope you will be too. For our guest, Justin Leonard, and my co-host, Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola, and we'll talk to you next time.